Hello and welcome to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, inspirational author, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, she's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. Find out more at rachelflick.com. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. I'm here at the Waymaker World Conference in Orlando for the American Association of Christian Counseling. Today I have an incredible guest to share with you, Georgia Schaefer. Georgia is an author, a Pennsylvania licensed psychologist, and a professional certified coach. Her books include Taking Out Your Emotional Trash, A Gift of Morning Glories, Restoring Your Life After Loss. She offers individual coaching for women dealing with loss and setback. She also equips women through Rebuild After Divorce, a small group coaching experience for Christians struggling to begin after a shattered marriage. Georgia, welcome to the Hopecast. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's such an honor. I was just fangirling a little bit with you before we started recording that I was looking at your bio and you talk about going from reeling to resilient. And I was like, I've got to meet this woman. Yeah, it's a process. (laughs) The reeling to resilient. So we'll get in that a little bit, but I would love to hear a little bit more of your backstory. Well, for me, uh, the reeling part started about 30 years ago when I was diagnosed with a recurrence of breast cancer, like Mm. six months after the original, and given a 2% chance to be alive. So I had, you know, the chemo, the radiation, but I also had a bone marrow transplant that took me close to death, literally. As my son said years later, Mom, you were a ghost in a shell. Mm. And I really was. And... um, Add to that, during the same period of time, I went through a divorce, and I lost my job because after the transplant, I was so weak. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you talk about reeling. You talk about your life being shattered. You talk about all the rubble of what you thought was once your life. That's pretty much where I was. Hmm. Will you talk about that just a little bit, about the grief that comes when you get the diagnosis, when you get the phone call, when you lose someone that you love, and what that does to your idea of what your future was going to be and losing that future? Mm -hmm. Yes, and I remember feeling hopeless, helpless, and certain my life was never gonna get better Mm -hmm. because I couldn't see how it would. Uh, And most of my friends didn't see it. Mm. I mean, things did look hopeless. uh, But obviously, that's not the end of it. So yes, you you just look at the future and just can't imagine how anything could be better. Mm. And when you are in that space, because that's a really hard space. That's a really hard space when you've lost the future that you thought you had. Mm -hmm. And you have no vision for what it will be. And kind of... I mean, I haven't lost remotely like Job, right? With his, you know, great 10 children and all of his properties and all those things, right? But I remember feeling like that, just sitting there in a way of like sackcloth and ashes, you know, and you're just sort of like, I have no idea how to be here, how to move forward. And I'm really not sure if I'll ever feel joy again. Yeah, and plus, at the like when I was told I had a recurrence and a 2% chance to be alive in 10 years, it's this shock, this mm. numbness. And that reality takes a while to sink in. Um, 
to realize, you know what, my life has changed and it's changed forever. Mm. And then you start going into grieving, which you asked earlier. Yeah, yeah. What um, are some of the hallmarks from your grieving process? Healthy grieving is a protesting the pain mm. because you don't have to like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, being honest and real like that. with your friends, with God, not putting on this, hey, look at me, I'm doing so well. It's also facing the intense emotional feelings. I thought the sadness was going to kill me. Mm-hmm. I really did. It's and I so thought physically painful. Anger was going to kill somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) So these feelings, when I say face the feelings, these are intense. And Mm. most people right there, I think, you know, that pain's going to kill me. And so what a lot of people do is numb the Mm -hmm. emotional pain. And then what happens, they don't feel that pain. But guess what? They don't feel joy either. It's like they're emotionally flatlined, which causes problems. And then it's also bringing people in your closest circle that will encourage you, will support you, will give you the space to grieve. Mm -hmm. People who will hear your story. I mean, really hear what you're expressing. Maybe sometimes the emotions are stuck inside and I don't really know what I'm feeling. So they might help you, you know, in verbalizing that. Uh, People that won't try to fix you. Well, you know what you need to do? (laughs) You need to X, Y, Z. And if you don't, I really don't want to be around you kind of feeling. And also the people that you know believe in your ability. I did have some friends that just believed in my ability to be resilient, even when I couldn't. And so they believed in that. And most importantly, they showed that they were going to walk with me through this journey, this desert experience. They weren't going to just run away. Mm, be consistent. Can I go back to something that you said about people who won't fix you? And we talked a little before the interview about people having opinions about what your grief should look like. Mm-hmm. And I think I just see that across the board in my widow support groups, you know, friends who've lost people recently. I mean, just how should you spend your money? How should you handle your time? Who should you have a relationship with? I mean, literally the sky's the limit on like how this should happen. So if you were to speak to the grieving person who's feeling like my emotions are not okay, my coping is not okay, like I, you know, how would you respond to the people who are judging you so that your anger doesn't kill them? Because I do remember that intensity of anger of just like trying to cope with your loss, with the fury that was in you and being like, um, I think it's better for all of us if I stay home because I don't want to go to jail. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) I never heard somebody say it quite like that, but that's well put. Yeah, and it's it's a misunderstanding because I remember one time I was speaking on grief and I mentioned that six to 18 months after whatever the loss was, Mm -hmm. is the worst period of time. Mm. So think about that. One year after your divorce, people are thinking, well, it's been a year. You should be better. Yeah. You're not only not better, you're worse. Mm. And you'll hear many people say, oh, the second year was worse because there's that overlap. So they don't understand that. They and they're uncomfortable. You being in pain, it's contagious. Whatever we're feeling, our anger 
Uh, so they, you know, they're not comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the people that really run away are the ones that just shows they can't be a comfortable with those kinds of feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's those deep feelings that it takes a special kind of person. And you mm -hmm. want to distance yourself from the negative life draining people. Yeah. You can't afford it at a time like this. Your resources are depleted, mental, physical, emotional, they're just depleted. So these negative people that are could be toxic normally, you can't afford what they cost you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just drained for days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you would say it was okay to have boundaries and distance with people who are judging you for your grief process. Yes. You don't want to isolate yourself too much because we do need people. And at first we do sort of crawl in a corner yeah. and lick our wounds. And we don't want to isolate ourselves from God. Mm. And we don't want to get caught in self-pity. You know, grieving is you feel those feelings and it overlaps in some way. But at some point, self-pity is dwelling mm -hmm. and you know going over it and over it again so that's a really good example of validating the grief and then you mentioned um dwelling so where do you feel like that line is because i have met people who i know are stuck right five years ten years out they haven't grown forward they haven't found a path of resilience um, where do you kind of define some of those places for people to know if they're stuck versus this is a healthy pattern of grieving? Well, I talked about that six to 18 months, so that's off limits. You don't mm -hmm. even look at them at that point. But you're right. You can just see it on your ingoing, yeah, your relationships and the way they're connecting. And it's basically about them. Mm. They're the only one who is suffering. Uh, life is so difficult for them. You know, you sort of this communication of how about rescuing me? Mm. Because it takes responsibility to go through this experience. Not that it's all in you and not that you don't accept help from others. Yeah. But that person who just wants to stay there and can't begin to see. Here's the other thing. A lot of times people, even at first, realize the gifts God's given them in the midst of the pain. Well, that person who's stuck rarely sees mm -mm. any gifts or appreciation or gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. I talk to my kids a lot about silver linings, you know, like your daddy died. And so someone gifted us this trip to Hawaii, right? And we can be here and we can be sad and we can also enjoy the beauty and we would never be here if this hadn't happened, right? It's exactly. that very much that both and. Yes, yes, you can be broken but flourishing. Mm -hmm. what, what does that look like to um, find that beauty but recognize that life is really hard, you know, and there's gonna be days even when you are doing well overall, you know? It, it's crazy to me how I have way more good days than bad now at three and a half years out. And then every now and then something still comes up and sucker punches me. A trigger. Yeah. And then, I mean, I like Micah's birthday this year. It's the fourth one that we've had without him. I just literally woke up out of a deep sleep in tears. Mm. You know, I mean, that's an obvious one with a birthday and some of it's a lot less obvious, but um, that was really hard. You know, a day that was that was beautiful with him. So how do you how do you kind of grow forward? You know, you talk about this process of of being resilient and you acknowledging the both and uh, it's attention 
It's a tension between the grieving and the tension with living in the here and now and savoring what you do have. Mm. And, you know, it's this tension of going back and forth from comfort to downright pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we got to hold them. It's like sometimes a single person will say, I want to get married. But they want to get married, but they hold that so tightly that they're not opening up for the here and now what God has for them now. Mm, so that's a good example. Th- it's not easy to live with that on an ongoing basis. And a lot of times the people I work with, when they are triggered by something, they go back and it feels like they're back in the throes of grief. Mm-hmm. They feel like it's never going to get better. And they'll say something like, I just might as well give up. Mm-hmm. But it, that's, that's brief. Mm-hmm. But it feels like the same thing you experienced before. I think one of my discoveries is that perseverance in pain is a huge piece of resilience. One of my favorite silly sayings is this too shall pass. It may pass like a kidney stone, but it's going to pass. Yeah. And if I can get through this day, right, which sometimes feels like breath by breath and hour by hour, depending on how intense the pain is and just like, just wait for it to pass. Like this wave will pass. Yes. That's well put. And I call that grit, that Mm. ability to persevere. You need that for resilience, Mm. to sustain that effort to that place where you're going to be resilient and flourish. But all along the way, there are spots like you were just talking about. And the only thing is you don't give up. Mm-hmm. You just don't give up. And here's a saying research has shown it's very helpful. When people, it could be a plateau in their life, but in this case, we're talking about a trigger. And then they start lying to themselves and say, I'll always be here. I'll never grow past mm-hmm. this. Uh, is saying the phrase, not yet. That's great. And that saying alone uh, can help people say, okay, all right, just haven't reached this yet, but I am going to be resilient. Here's where I'm going, but I just have to keep on knowing it's not happening yet. Mm, Yeah. How do you, I feel like one of the things that grief brings out is a fixation in the past with regret or a fixation in the future with anxiety. What do you do to stay in the present? That's really hard. When I was diagnosed with cancer, my son was eight years old, so that meant I had a 2% chance to see him graduate from high school. Wow. What I did mention earlier is since then, I've had stage four lung cancer. I've had stage three colon cancer. I've had an ovarian tumor. And so all these incidents, you know, going along the way, it's just so hard to keep on keeping on. Mm. So you just got to say to yourself, I got grit. I'm developing grit. Mm, mm, That's awesome. Yeah, especially because it might feel like the bottom's going to drop out again every time you go to the doctor for a checkup. Oh, it does. The shoe's going to fall. This Mm -hmm. is going to be it. This is going to be the thing that takes me out. You know, I wonder, can you relate it all? Like, losing Micah was my worst fear. You know, that was my worst case scenario. And since losing him, something will come up that I'm anxious about, right? Some possibility. And I'll be like, but you know what? I did think that pain was going to kill me and it didn't. So even if it really hurts, um, I know I can survive it. 
Like, would you say that that's a part of grit too? And can you relate to that in your story? I mean, five times with cancer. Oh, yeah. Uh, The last time I didn't see that one coming. But yeah, you talked about it is living in the moment, savoring the moment, because you're right, most of us dwell in the past or we're just terrified Mm -hmm. uh, and worry about the future. But when we're living in that moment, and that is not easy to do, and how many people do that? Years ago, I had a tea for terminally ill women, people that weren't expected to live for a year. Mm. And almost immediately, I didn't expect it, they were living in the present. They were not living in the past. They did not worry about two weeks or a month from now. They were savoring everything in the moment. And it, it was shocking to experience that. Hmm. That's a really beautiful silver lining. I feel like people who have lost and who are moving forward are some of the most precious, precious people, you know, just to sit at their feet and see life through their eyes. Well, and like you said, the five occurrences of cancer, you know, the uncertainty, oh, that could keep me stuck right there. But you know what? is the opposite is living purposely Mm. and passionately. Like I'm passionate about this Uh topic. Uh, I love that passionate about helping people um, rebuild their lives. And they're only looking at the rubble and they don't see how they're ever going to get past this. So I want to reignite that dying spark. So when I think about, well, how much longer do I have to live? It doesn't matter if I'm Mm. living today with what I feel God's called me to do. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. Because I thought, you know, my dad's 64, he has early onset Alzheimer's. And, you know, I was like... um, like I'm close to 40. I'm thinking when my dad was 40, was he thinking I've got 20 more years? You know what I mean? Like, no, you you think, oh, you know, you'll live old and to the, you know, fullness of your life and, and whatever that looks like. And I'm like, if I don't have the time that I hope that I do, will I have lived it in such a way that I don't have regrets? Exactly. And that's something you got to continually ask yourself. Plus, the wisdom of having that experience with your father is it makes you aware how fragile life is. Scripture is very clear. We're like smoke. We're like fragile flowers. But how many of us know that in our hearts of hearts? Yeah, I think, you know, we start out feeling kind of invincible and then we start having these losses. And then it's like, okay, how do you acknowledge that fragility and then find the strength in it, right? Because it's scary at first, and then it's empowering. Uh, very, yeah. It's wisdom to know that you're not going to last forever. Mm, and yeah. how are you spending your days? Mm-hmm. Yeah, leaving a legacy, passionate, purposeful. I like that. You have a tool that I want to make sure that we share with the listeners. When people are spiraling down emotionally and spiritually, what are three things that could help them experience higher levels of faith, hope, and love? Well, the first one I touched on earlier is gratitude. Mm. Just whatever you have that's thankful, that you appreciate in the moment. And research has found that if you write down three things every day, that's even more uplifting because you're paying attention mm-hmm. instead of what I can't do or what I don't have. It's what I do have, what I can do, what God has provided for me. And that's really helps you reverse that downward cycle. The second one is 
um, meditating on a loving God mm. is when we look at God as critical, distant, punishing you, you know, just having a fly swatter. As soon as you make a mistake, he's going to swat you. That, Dr. Jennings uh, talks about how that creates inflammation in your brain. Literal inflammation? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, research, I think, is out of the University of Maryland. He wrote the book, God-Shaped Brain. And when people meditated on a loving God, and they saw God as really caring for them, even where they don't know if they can trust him, or mm-hmm. uh, that created a healing. Hmm. It took that inflammation down. So what it looks like, like in my life and what I encourage people, two things. What is an image you have of your, you and Jesus? Now, not everybody can picture in their mind, mm-hmm. but it's amazing. People see themselves curled up like a little kitten or their ears against Jesus's heart or mm-hmm. minds like a little four-year-old girl. He's holding me up at his shoulders. And mm-hmm. whatever that image is, coupled with a biblical verse that speaks to you. Mm. Mine's Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is with you. Uh, He is mighty in power. And it goes on to say about he'll delight in you. He'll rejoice over you with singing. So that uses Mm. both sides of the brain. That's so beautiful. And that can help reverse that downward cycle. So the visual and that verse combined use both halves of your brain. That's so cool. And it just brings it down and also get people to pray for you i remember thinking i don't know how god delights in me so i uh-huh. asked people to show yeah uh that god would show me how he delights in me and then the last one i already touched on is even in the most difficult stressful times if you can find some sense of meaning and purpose mm. uh that you're going to be, you're more compassionate. Mm-hmm. You understand what it's like to grieve. Mm-hmm. You understand that at times, you know, you just need some space to process things. That finding meaning and um, even in the most destructive situations, very empowering. Yeah. I think that is a huge key of resilience is finding that purpose in your pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you think about mothers against drunk driving, right? Born out of the loss of of their children, you know, and that we have um, different laws in our nation now because they fought for that, right? And, um, you know, I was thinking about um, there's a difference between post-traumatic stress disorder and post-traumatic growth, I think, in people who see them as a victim versus an overcomer. You know, and that's why I love um, recording stories on the Hopecast of overcomers, right? Because the pain's the same, oh, yes. right? And it's, it's just like, what are you going to do with it? You know, and do you see yourself as a victim of it or that there could be hope in your story? And, and even if we're not sure what the future looks like, to be able to find those gratitude points right now. And realize when I go to my garden, in the, at night in the summer everything's gray or black mm. so I can't see the vibrant colors of the flowers mm. so you also want to remind yourself in those dark times the color the good things the hope-filled future is out there but you right now you just can't see it yeah yeah absolutely I love that I had a I had a dream before Micah died and um, in the dream there was a meteor shower 
and I thought I was going to die in my dream. And I'm getting hit by all these, these bits of comets and they sizzle and they hurt, but I'm, I'm not dying. And then in the dream, the sun comes up and what I look around and see is that all of those asteroids have turned into huge, beautiful jewels. Oh, wow. And at the time I was like, that dream was really impactful and I don't know what it's about. And then it was like two or three years before Micah died and the Lord brought it back to my mind after he passed. And it was like these things that feel like they're going to kill you will become the treasures found in darkness. Oh, yes, absolutely. This is awesome. Thank you. And people often ask, how do you cultivate resilience? Mm -hmm. Because people think they either have it or they don't. And that's not true. We can cultivate resilience. So you find those life-giving things in the midst of the pain. What gives you a sense of hope? You might not experience joy. You bring those kind, caring, compassionate friends in your inner circle at that Mm. time, like I was talking about, self compassion. You don't beat yourself up at these times. Mm -hmm. You don't beat yourself up anytime, but we can cultivate resilience. So that's one of the things I especially want to share. It's not whether you're resilient or not. You can cultivate these conditions to be more resilient. Yeah, absolutely. Georgia, you have some incredible resources. Where can people who want to grow in resilience find your resources? Uh, At georgiaschafer.com. Schafer's you know, a particular spelling. It's Georgia like the state. My email's Georgia at GeorgiaSchaefer.com. Schaefer's S-H-A-F-F-E-R. So yes, I have uh, wrote books like Taking Out Your Emotional Trash, one on this rebuilding mm, process that, that we were ta- talking about, mm-hmm. A Gift of Morning Glories. So yes, there's, and I have free resources on that website as well, how the different personalities grieve differently. Oh, that's awesome. I love personality work and personality tests. I'm going to have to go take that. That's incredible. It's it's more uh, a PDF, maybe? Okay, yes, perfect. Okay. Georgia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity to share with all those who might feel like they can't get past tomorrow. This is going to be wonderful. I know that a lot of people will be blessed by your message. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you to Georgia for this incredible resource of just um, a life that has been lived with pragmatism, but also incredible hope and resilience, and I just pray that her story blesses you today, and um, go check that out at georgiaschafer.com. Everybody, this has been the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. I look forward to connecting with you next week again. You've been listening to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. To find out more, go to rachelflick.com. While you're there, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. While you're online, you can discover more information about all of the platforms that this podcast is on. Also, be sure to click on the social media icons at the top of the page and you will be directed to Rachel's social media sites. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.